right, so money, 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 that's the topic today. Uh, I failed to tell First Service this, but truly as a church, we haven't preached on the tithe or money um, since pre-COVID shutdown. Uh, it was actually February, our last series about money was February of 2020. And, um, and so since then, we, we haven't really focused on it. And obviously, we've had legacy offering, and we've talked about a few of like our campaigns. But to really look at what God says about stewarding our resources, it's been a little bit, but not because I'm shy about it, not because I'm intimidated by the topic. As a matter of fact, many pastors shy away from the topic. Or I've even been in conferences and different like video chats that pastors are in, and they're trying to kind of teach you to, hey, be careful about talking about money. You should, you should be careful. You know, it's been abused in church, and leadership has handled money wrong, and so maybe we should leave it alone. We don't want to intimidate anybody. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But the reality about that is what a huge ripoff to my congregation if I rob them of the message of God's covenant over our money. You know, everything I do up here is because I love you and I care about you and I want God's best for you. That's the purpose of a pastor is to say, hey, you're my flock. You know, I'm shepherding you in a way. And so for me to say, well, we might make people uncomfortable. So let's remove this great truth of God wants to covenant with you and your money and your resources and bless you and cover you, what a huge ripoff that would be. And so I will never do that to you. I'm, I'm, I'm unashamed to get up here and talk about money is spiritual. Everybody say, I don't know. You know, we should leave money out of church. We shouldn't talk about it. It's private. It's kind of a thing. Oh, no, no, no. We're about to see in a minute. The scripture is full of conversations about stewardship and money and resources. And the reality is I want to see you blessed and walking in freedom. And so we got to talk about doing it God's way. I've used this example like a bunch of times, but if I were to figure out like, all right, I want this microphone to work to its best ability. I want to get the most out of this thing. I want it to live its best life. Uh, how would I figure out how to do that? Well, you would go to its creator, the inventor, and you would go, all right, tell me about this. How do I make this thing work in its best way? And it would say, well, here's the principles and here's the things that need to take place for it to function at its highest level. Well, that's what the Bible is to us. It's our creator saying, hey, if you do these things, if you put in these principles, you're going to get the most out of life. Jesus, when he showed up on earth, actually showed up and he said, look, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Of course, he's talking about salvation, but he's also talking about displaying the way to live. One one way that you can say it is "I've I've come to show you the best way to live. Much of his teachings are like this. You know, the world does it this way, but I've come to show you that it's better to do it this way. And so we try to line up our lives with the the teaching and the example that Jesus gave us. And he has a lot to say about money. And so we're in this world. We're here stuck in America, uh, living in this culture of spend, spend. Now, I love America. That wasn't a shot at America. I'm saying we're stuck in this culture that's like spend more, glorify yourself, I everything, insta this, make it all about you, chase, chase, chase. Are you tracking with me? And we got to go, hold on. That's not God's way. That's not God's way. And so here's the funny thing about money. Oh, we can't talk about money. Can't talk about money and it should be private and it's not a spiritual thing. But think about this. Money, you could say money is possibly the most powerful thing that you can be involved with in your life outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? If you think about the ability of money, money has the ability. Companies, think about this. The, the power of money has caused companies, massive major companies to rise and fall over money decisions. Marriages have risen and fallen over these conversations or the handling of money. Think about this. Global power is established in our world most of the time based on wealth and status. Global power has to do with money. Think about this. Countries have gone to war, literally gone to war 
over topics of money. Uh, think about this. We know that money has been used in exchange for murder. Money has literally participated in murder. Think about this. Because of lack of money and resources, people are dying on a daily basis through starvation. Money has the ability to save lives and pro provide resources for those who are starving. Think about this is so crazy. Money gives you the ability to own part of this planet. If you've ever bought property, you've been deeded, literally, a physical ownership of this planet by way of wealth. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? All of the power that goes into money. So how many of you think that Jesus in the scripture would probably have something to say about this very powerful thing that we know as money or resources? Amen. And how many of you are so excited to hear me tell you what it is? Okay. All right. Two of you. All right. I wrote, I'm writing it down. I'm putting, I know your voices. Those two I'm putting in my journal as like, they're going up. Their guys are in it. But here's what the enemy always does. He always attacks at the PowerPoint. And so where does the enemy attack so much? Well, he tries to get Christians to stop praying and it's hard to pray. That's when you start praying. All of a sudden you start thinking of this or you start getting sleepy or he always attacks prayer. Why? Because there's so much power in prayer. Well, what about unity? There's unity. Oh, so we want unity. We don't want division. Scripture talks about if we can be one with another, there's so much power if we can be in unity. So what does the enemy do? He comes in with pride and he comes in with manipulation and deceit. He goes after that. Well, why do you think the enemy's gone so hard after money and resources? And look, I'm the first one to say, look, I know churches have got it so wrong when it comes to money. You got the camp that says, all the church wants is your money. And I've seen that. And then you got the other camp over here that's like, they always handle it wrong and people do it. And so therefore, but that doesn't change what God says about how we handle our money. Okay. And so, uh, and so I understand. So the enemy comes in and he tries to mess with the power of being in a covenant with him, with our relationship or with our resources. I thought about it like this. The reality is like generosity, okay, generosity brings out the best in Christians. And I would say it like this. Christianity is its best when it's fulfilling and walking out generosity. If you've ever been a part of a church where maybe the church got together and they rallied behind a single mom and you got to show up and say, hey, we got you. You know, we're going to do this and we're going to provide this. And you walk away with such a smile on your face. Why? Because God wired you to be a generous person. You guys all know this. Of course, we all want things at Christmas time. Don't leave me out. But I'm saying, I'm saying your favorite times of Christmas is actually when you get to give, isn't it? It's when you get to see, oh, look at, they loved that. Oh my gosh, this, why? Because God wired you to be generous and be a giver and somebody who meets the needs of people. Can I get an amen? Maybe you've been a part of a church where this church for sure, there's a special offering cause and everybody rallies, rallies together and, and they're pooling their resources in a generous way and you get to do a special offering and make a difference. Or, or maybe you're real old school and you've once received the holy handshake. If you don't know what a holy handshake is, you can start practicing these with me. You put money in your hand and you go up to somebody and say, hey, brother, sister, God bless you. And you leave that money in the other person's hand. If you ever grew up in church, that was like a thing that happened a lot more. Now we need like some holy Venmos. Hey, God wants to, can I scan that quick? <laughs> Give me a scan. Give me a QR a minute. But all of these fun ways that Christians are generous and it makes a difference and you're inspired by it. But the enemy works really hard to come against that and to get you bound, to get you suppressed, to put chains on you in this area of resources. Focus on the Family did a study of finances and Christian living, and they found this, that uh, it came in number one, that the number one stressor in American families was finances. 
And just out of all the pressures that I feel, the, the biggest overwhelming thing is finances, my future of kids' college, all the different things I'm, I'm trying to battle. I have this pressure of finances. They said 70% of divorces, uh, they attributed to financial pressure. The way he spends money or she spends money or we don't save enough money or we don't have enough money. 70% of divorces uh, relate finances to it. 87% of parents say they feel like they could be a better parent if they didn't have financial pressure. Now, obviously, I'm not up here right now saying like, so what we need to do is all quit our jobs. But what I'm saying is we need to be careful that we aren't chasing things that don't matter. We're putting on the chains of financial pressure because we're chasing things that don't matter. They say one third of Americans pay the minimum on their credit card with the average American paying, having, or carrying $16,000 worth of credit card debt. 50% of Americans have less than one month saved. The average, if you were to take the average tax return and apply it to your mortgage, you would reduce your loan length by nine years. However, 83% of Americans spend their tax return on entertainment or depreciating value or value items. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. All that free money we got last year. <laughs> Americans, look at, look, at, look at the strategy of the enemy here. America spends more money on marketing and sales than education, product development, and well-being combined. America has bought this lie and pushes this message you need more, more, buy more, buy more. You need more. You're not going to be happy till you get more. If you've ever even seen a movie come out, they say, must see movie of the year. Everything is told, if you don't do this, you won't be happy. Must have, must this. Everything is sold to you that you don't have enough and you need more. It's the opposite of generosity. People say, well, I don't know. You know what, what does the Bible have to say about money? Well, let's, let's take a look here. 16 out of the 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possessions. The most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, has a portion that deals with money and stewardship and resources. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. One out of 10 verses in the gospel deal with money. There are more than 2,000 scriptures about money and possessions in the Bible, which is twice as many as faith and prayer combined. So God has a lot to say about stewardship and our money. How many of you know it's a huge part of Christian living? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Well, no, church is about prayer, and it's about worship, and it's about knowing the scripture, and it's also about stewarding everything that God gave you. Amen. Can I get an amen? Listen, the Bible, everything we need to know about everything is in the Bible. As I mentioned, our creator gave us everything we need to know to live our best possible life. And so whenever you go, oh my gosh, you know, there's all of these things going on and money and all this kind of stuff. Well, the scripture says, and we, be, or we believe this about the church, that the church, the local church is the hope of the world. They tell us this, that if every American Christian tithed, gave a 10%, a 10th of their income, if every American Christian gave their tithe, we'd be able to end world hunger. Well, why is that the case? That's the case because God's idea wasn't for every answer to come from government. His idea was for every answer to come through the kingdom, the church. Are you with me? And so that's why these things matter. That's why we got to get things right because there's a way that God has set up for us to be able to meet the need and steward this world. So let me break this down. This is going to be a little bit deep and then I got some two points for you to, to, to get out of here. But the title of my sermon is this, where did you get that? Where did you get that? Uh, I wanted to say it like this. Uh, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? With my, and Doug was like, I don't know how to spell where'd ya. <laughs> He's like, where'd ya? 
But this, this, like, where'd you get that? So that's the title. I'm going to break it down here in a minute. But here's what I want us to understand. There's a concept, there's a model in scripture that we need to think about all the time. And that's this. Everything we do, we look to Jesus as an example. Everybody's like, of course we do. We look to Jesus as the example. Why? Because when Jesus came to earth, he came to earth to reveal what the father is like. So, and I'm going to explain it here in a minute, but Jesus is operating. He's showing us in the flesh and blood what God is like. The reason that that's really interesting is because before Jesus was on the scene, there was a lot of different opinions about what God was like. Some people who believed in God and and were trying to follow, they believed and, and honored God because he was the creator. They said, oh yes, God, the creator. He created heavens and earth. He, we, we serve him as the creator, responsible for all these things. Some people said, no, we serve and we honor God and we, we're respectful, we're uh, worshipful of God because he's a judge and we need to be careful because he's ultimately going to judge us. And so we we're, we're honoring because he's this figure as a judge. Another would be, well, no, he's the ultimate authority figure. And so we honor and respect and we, we, we serve God because he's this ultimate authority figure. We need to be basically on our best behavior, right? Because he's this, but then Jesus comes and he starts using this language and revealing God to everybody as the father, the father. Now it's relational. Now it's like he's coming and saying, I don't do anything unless the father reveals it. And he's also showing what it's like. So now it becomes this relational component. And then Jesus takes it even further to us. And he says this, as I have been sent, you're sent also. So what he's saying is, I've been sent to reveal what the father's like, his characteristics, his nature, everything that is God is on display to the world through Jesus. Then Jesus says, hey, you're sent like I'm sent, which means everything we do is to reveal what Jesus is like. Am I making sense today? So that means if God is generous, if the heavenly father is generous and Christ came and showed us how to live generously, then that means we're imitators of Christ. We need to be generous. Generosity matters. Uh, that, that, that means for us, it shouldn't be your reputation that you're, you're stingy, you're uptight. You're, oh gosh, don't go to them. They're never going to give you. Are you with me? Because we're imitators of Christ as he revealed the father and the father is generous. Um, that's why we're called Christians. You've heard me say this before, a Christian. You're literally, like, you're so like Christ. You're so revealing the nature of the father that you're a Christian. Oh, that's a Christian over there. Um, I put it down like this. Uh, I love being a parent and it's so fun and so crazy at the same time. Uh, but one of the things that's so fun as you're growing up, raising kids and you're watching them grow up is the times when all of a sudden you realize they've revealed the nature of their father or mother based on an act that they just did. And so they do something. And this is what we say. This is why I titled my sermon this way. They do something and you go, Oh my gosh, where'd you get that from? And then you go, Oh, that, that, that came from your mom for sure. A hundred percent. That was your mom. Or you're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Look how great that was. You got that from dad. Like that was clearly, where did you get that from? And, and think about this, you know, Jess is very artistic. She can paint. I look like I, my handwriting looks like I wrote with my feet or my teeth, you know, to the point that my wife just told me the other day in the garage, I just take duct tape and I put it on our totes and I just write on it. Just write it on it, put it up there. I know what it means. She's in the garage like, I got to get the label maker. That is embarrassing. <laughs> like, I don't even, it's like, well, get out of my garage, people. Don't. 
And so, and so she's very artistic. She can make paintings and all these things, much of what you see around here um, at times, painting and different things, design. And, uh, and my son is getting that way. He's very good, much better handwriting than me. And he's six years old, and so he's doing these things. And so you would say, oh, yeah, you know, he gets that from his mom. He gets that. Or maybe you have like a recipe or something you can bake or make or something. And you would say to somebody like, oh, my gosh, where did you? I get that from dad or I get that from grandpa or I get that. That's how God, when they spoke of these heavenly terms, heavenly father terms, it ought to be looked at at all like, where do you get that from? Christ-like, my father. Are you with me? It, it, it matters. And so, uh, and so we see it in John 14, 7. Jesus is trying to get us to catch this concept. John 14, 7. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Do you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What he's trying to say here is, again, if we've seen it in Christ's nature, it's because it's God being lived through Jesus. And so people need to be saying about us as Christians, all that generosity, all that love, all that forgiveness, all that compassion. I can tell where they get that from. The reality is this, the gospel was birthed and is fueled by generosity. This message that we're, that we're sharing with the world, that we're preaching to all the nations was birthed and is fueled by generosity. Think about this most famous scripture that you've ever heard. It's in football stadiums, it's on overpasses, it gets put in all these places. John three sixteen says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God so loved something, it caused him to be generous towards it. Anything that you love, you're generous towards. Anything that you truly love and care about, you give yourself to. So when we say the gospel, the message of God, the hope of the world, we so love the world, it ought to cause us to just like Jesus, just like God did here, we then give. Amen? Amen? That's how the gospel is fueled. We so love and care, it causes us to be generous. It's revealed the nature of God. He's so loved that he gave. Uh, I thought about this. Some of the greatest moves of God in our church or some of the greatest moves of God I've ever seen in ministry are fueled by generosity. Somebody has said, you know what? I'm willing to give up this career or I'm willing to give up this resource or I'm willing to give up this thing to go follow this new mission or to go do the, they, an incredible act of generosity. Many times this church has grown or exploded in growth because we came off a legacy offering where we said, okay, we need to add on and we need to build and we need to do this. And we've come together in a generous way. And because it fueled the gospel, we saw lives changed out of it. And that's our joy. It's our joy to be able to be that way. Uh, I used to work at a church in the Howell Brighton area and uh, they had a daycare in there. And, uh, and so I, you know, me, I'm a people person and I love kids. And so every so often when I'd step out of the office, I would go into the daycare rooms and I'd meet all the kids and talk to them about all the things. And <clears throat> there's this little kid named Jacob, uh, forget their last name, doesn't matter, but this little kid named Jacob. And, and he was like really into cereal. He was like always eating cereal. And so I'd go in there and mess with him. Like, yeah, man, Fruit Loops, that's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's like five years old, six years old. Like, yeah, buddy, Fruit Loops, you know, they're best washed down with a Mountain Dew. You know, you, you want to get your Mountain Dew? See, people don't realize that Mountain Dew is a juice. It's very appropriate for morning. Go read like the second or third ingredient. It says orange juice. It's basically juice, all right? Teenagers, if your parents give you a hard time, tell them pastor said, okay? 
And so we're always talking about cereals. And then you get another kind of cereal in there. Like, oh, yeah, but that one's good, too. So we just kind of had this thing about cereal. So one day I'm sitting in my office, and the director of the daycare comes to me and goes, hey, uh, Jacob wants to, like, bring you his new cereal. He, he, he got a new cereal. He wants you to bring it. He wants you to try it. I said, okay, cool. Yeah, bring him in. This will be awesome. He comes in with his little bowl. He's a little six-year-old kid. He comes in, and it's Fruity Pebbles. Hey, Pastor Josh, I got some new cereal. Do you want to try it? I'm like, yeah, bud. Because he so loved it, he wanted to make sure everyone could experience it. And so because he loved it, he wants to give. And I said, okay, yeah, bud, bud. I'll try some. No joke, Fruity Pebbles. He goes, takes one flake out and gives it to me. (laughs) Gives me one. And and, and I still had to eat it. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) All right. (laughs) For God so loved, you you give all. You give everything. He's, he's much like a lot of Christians do. Love the world, want to see the world transform, want to see God's kingdom come. Oh, but just one second. There's a little bit that I'm going to give you. Just a little bit. God didn't do that. For God so loved, he gave it all. He gave it all. Well, how can we do that? Well, the way that we can do that is because we realize it's not ours in the first place. We realize that everything we've ever earned, everything we've ever achieved, all comes from God anyway. You know, the scripture says that it's God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. It's God. It's not your achievement, your talent, your know-how. It's God who provides. James 1.7 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, and it says he doesn't change. So if he gave you good and perfect gifts now and you give them away, he's going to give you good and perfect gifts again. You know, we say to our kids all the time, what do you think money grows on trees? You think we just have an endless supply of fruit snacks? No, we don't. But with God, he's like, well, I do. I have an endless supply. You actually can't outgive God. What you can do is continue to give. And because he gives perfect gifts, he continues to give them. He's everlasting and he doesn't change. Can I get an amen? But this is the trap, if you're going to let me be a little bit rough on you right now. This is the trap that I see, is pride comes in, and we start to give reasons for why we should be in control of what we do with our resources. No, I've earned this, and I've worked hard, and I've sold this and done that, and I've achieved this, and I've made this good decision and this good decision. I'm a good steward. Therefore, I get to hold on to and keep and hold back. And the problem with that is 1 Peter says this, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The humble person would say this, this isn't mine in the first place. God gave it all to me. I'm going to be obedient to him. Are you with me? But the prideful person says, no, it's mine. I earned it. This is for me. They don't deserve that. They aren't going to do what they're supposed to with it. I'm going to hold it. And God resists being able to participate with you in pride. Why isn't God moving? Why hasn't he joined me in this thing that I'm trying to do? Because he got too much pride and he resists the proud. Am I telling the truth today? You guys are being quiet on me today. He resists. Now listen, he never resists you relationally. I don't want you to walk out of here being like, God must have resisted me. He must be pushing me inside. Relationally, he's always there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. But until he has humility, he can't participate. Are you with me? Uh, I thought about it like this. Uh, Think about Adam and Eve. Genesis, he says, look, you're the ruler over everything. I've given you all these gifts, the garden. You have everything, but don't eat of that tree. Just don't eat of that tree. And then they start saying, 
pridefully, ah, I wonder the enemy's talking to him. I wonder if he really said you can't eat from that tree. I'm going to make my own decision here because maybe I know better than what God said. And so they choose to make this decision to eat and then destruction. I wrote it down like this. They chose satisfaction over obedience. Instead of being obedient to us, nah, I'm going to make some choices that are going to help me feel better. Instead of being generous and meeting the needs of other people, let's just keep saving to get that bigger house. Well, you know, I really want that F-150 Raptor. I need to be able to go 100 in my truck. Oh, I was talking about myself there for a minute. But we choose satisfaction over obedience. We keep choosing satisfaction. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. It left them feeling the weight of their actual lack. They thought they were missing out because they couldn't eat of one tree. And they made selfish decisions, prideful decisions, and then they realized how much they really didn't have, how much actually really came from God. Are you with me? Uh, it drives me nuts uh, with my kids um, when you freely give and then they fight about it. Uh, I'm a dad that has a hard time saying no. Uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so everything's a party. Yeah, let's do that. Let's try that. So I literally keep a cup in the garage for the ice cream man. We, we, we live in a neighborhood with the ice cream man. Someday we're going to move into the country, and Jessica's going to have to be the ice cream lady. I'm going to be like, we need something. And, uh, and so the kids know if they hear that sound, which is amazing, too, because it can be seven miles away. But when we tell them it's time for dinner off the deck, they don't hear anything. Also, hey, guys, come in. It's dinner. And it takes like 30 minutes to get off the tramp. The ice cream man's a mile away, and all of a sudden they're like waiting at the side of the... So I decided whenever it's dinner time, I'm going to play the ice cream man track. Someone told me the best thing after first service... This is the best. They said that the reason they play the music on the ice cream truck is because that means the ice cream truck's out of ice cream. Oh, the music's on. Not today, kids. <laughs> music, that means they're out. <laughs> that person will be in hell, but I thought it was funny. <clears throat> um, so the ice cream, man, we got this jar, and, and the kids always run to it. And so it literally happened last night. And I got a little refrigerator in my garage, too, and we keep sodas in there. We're always hanging out. And so my son will come up, and he's like, Dad, can I get a soda? I'm like, yeah, sure, bud. You can have a soda. Definitely have one. And then her, his little sister will be like, can I have a drink, Charlie? He's like, no, this is mine. I'm like, bro, I just gave you that. You didn't buy that. You didn't earn that. Just share that. I gave you that gift. Are you tracking with me? Ice cream last night gets ice cream cute little my little three-year-old Charlie can I have a bite of that can I try that kind no this is mine I'm like bro give me that ice cream and put it on the ground smash it in the grass <laughs> obviously I would never do that to my grass <laughs> Matthew chapter 10 verse 7 says as you go this is, this is like, this is the instruction to the church, how to live out the kingdom, how to be the body of Christ. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. The message when it comes to money and generosity and the way that God has given is this, freely you've received, freely give. Why? Because God doesn't run out. And so he's putting you in positions to keep giving and meeting the needs and, and, and loving people so freely you give. I have people um, that get intense to me about church. They'll say, you know, oh, we don't trust church. You know, these people have abused money and they've done it the wrong way. And so we just need to let you know that, that we're not going to give here and we're not going to be a part of the thing. 
Well, the message is freely give as you've received, you freely give. So I have a hard time when you eat from the fruit of this tree, this church, but you're not willing to sow into the soil. You want me to say it again? I have a hard time when we go, oh, I'm going to eat from all the vines of this church, but I'm not going to sow into the soil because I don't trust church and I don't. God said your responsibility is to freely give as you freely received. Can I get a good amen today? I'll close with this. Uh, I wrote it down like this. You can't live a generous life without it affecting your finances. You can't live a generous life without it affecting your finances. And then I wrote it down like this. You can't live a generous life if it only touches your finances. Well, what does that mean? Well, a generous life also means you're generous in your time. You're generous in your listening. You're generous in your forgiving. You're generous in your grace. You're generous in your trust and believing the best about other people. I've had people come here and they say, Pastor, we're here. And uh, I need to tell you up front, I'm not going to serve and I'm not going to participate in fellowships. I'm not coming to any of the groups. I'm just coming to church. But you need to know I'm going to pay my tithe. I'm paying my tithe. Well, this isn't a country club. You don't pay dues and get to enjoy a thing. What I'm saying is generosity. So many people can just scratch the check and say, oh, look at me. I'm generous. No, generous in our heart. In all ways. In all the ways. Time, treasure, talent, listening, caring, compassion, service, talent, all the things God's called us to be generous. And then the scripture sums it up really well here. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus' teaching is that the blessed life is a life that gives. The blessed life is one that gives and understands that it's better to be a people who give than who always receive. And I know you guys know this. You are an incredibly generous church. And online and all the different things through all this time, you've been so incredibly generous. But you want to make a difference in the world? Let's not try to out-argue them. Let's not try to out-sophisticate the world. How about we just show up and be so stinking generous that they're just like, man, those Christians get on my nerves. They're so giving all the time. Just get so much love from them. How are you with me? All right, let's pray and uh, we'll dismiss you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word and your way. God, help us live out these people who have freely as we've received, freely we want to give. We understand that you modeled for us, that you so love the world, it caused you to be a giver. And so God, whatever that looks like for us, time, treasure, talent, words, prayer life, whatever you're calling us into, Lord, help us have the boldness and the ability and the commitment to stick it out. In Jesus' name, amen.